Good morning again to everybody. Great to see everybody, really is. We have a lot of our regulars out today for illness and also some for travel, but it's great to be all of us here and we're happy to have our visitors with us as well. The first two lessons in this series of basic Bible teachings, I've covered what we might consider to be the very basics, the most basic of all understandings, and that is God, the existence in God, and then also Christ, God's Son or God the Son and our Lord and Savior. You don't get any more basic than that. And as I've said, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us, very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God. He's right there, created the heavens and the earth. So what we see all around us, even to the, throughout the universe that we can't even see, even with our most powerful telescopes, God created it all. He put it all in order so that it all works together in a synchronous fashion. Upon this earth, he created everything that we see, life-sustaining, atmosphere, and so on. Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord and Savior, came to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice that no other sacrifice could possibly match to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, for he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, I said, therefore, that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Again, it doesn't get any more basic than belief in God and belief in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God. Now, how do we come to that faith, though? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I say that over and over and over again. You don't get any more basic also when it comes to how we come to believe in God, how we come to understand his creative power and his authority in our lives. You don't get any more, any more basic than understanding Jesus to be our savior, our only savior. And as he said in John 14 and verse six, our only way to God for forgiveness and salvation. We learn about all of that through God's word. Romans 10 verse 17. Through God's word, faith begins to build within us. Now, we look at the reality that there is a right way and a wrong way to live our lives. Now, somebody says, well, here it goes again. Here, your preacher talk. I'm talking about life in general. We go to a work every day. We perform our job in the right way to get the job done. If we don't pay attention to doing it correctly, we don't get the job done we're probably going to be disciplined or maybe lose our job. We understand if we're going to get in our car and drive someplace across town, we're going to have to go in the right direction if we want to get to that destination that we're trying to get to. And if we don't go in the right direction, we're never going to get there. We understand the the basic principle of, of rightness and wrongness or correctness and incorrectness in every aspect of life. But when it comes to Our spiritual life, a whole lot of people, they just want to throw the rule book out and say, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. What feels good, it does matter. And what feels good may not be what is right or correct in that given situation. 
In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, the wise man wrote, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end or its end is the way of death. We've all gone down the wrong direction at times in our lives, maybe traveling, maybe making a decision that we found out later, that was the wrong decision, I shouldn't have made that decision. But <clears throat> this verse implies, in fact it instructs, that not knowing and not following the truth of God's word can lead to condemnation because there is a right way and a wrong way to live our lives. I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Peter wrote, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to know what we believe. We need to know what we're supposed to believe. And we need to know why we believe whatever it is that we believe. God's word guides us along that line. When we look at 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, as Peter concludes his second letter, he wrote this. As in, as in also all his epistles or letters, <clears throat> speaking in them of things, and he's referring to the Apostle Paul in the different books of the New Testament that he wrote by God's guidance through the Holy Spirit, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. And so he said, some people take some of the things that Paul wrote and they twist them around. Paul actually warned against this in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 9. He goes on in verse 17 here and he says, Do therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in our knowledge of God's word. God's word. So we need to know what to believe. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. So 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, we need to always be ready. Somebody asks us, well, why, why, do, you, why do you go to church? Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe you need to be a Christian? We need to know how to answer those questions. We may not be able to answer right off the cuff with book, chapter, and verse, but we can say, I, I, know, I know the reasons for this. And, and we can sit down and I can find the verses of scripture that instruct us as to why I believe what I believe and why I live the life that I live. God's word is clear. It is understandable. It makes sense and it is logical. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, and, 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 but of peace as in all the churches of the, of the saints. God has not given us a confusing book to just mess with our minds or to not be able to figure out. It's clear. It's understandable. It makes sense. It is logical. God has given us his word, the Bible, 
as his word to teach us his truth and his will for our lives. And there is no guidebook that has been written by mankind that begins to compare with the guidance that God has given us in his word. The wisdom that is communicated to us through those scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word, in other words, and is profitable for doctrine, that is for teaching, for, <clears throat> for uh, uh, correction, is profitable for doctrine, it is, is, it is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God has given us his word to guide us to salvation, to forgiveness, to redemption, to eternal life, and he's also given us his word to guide us as to how to live the faithful, dedicated Christian life before him until we get to that point where we're ready to get to heaven. Because we die physically and we're waiting to be ushered through those pearly gates and onto those golden streets. Paul speaks of a pattern, a pattern, a design that is from God for us to live by as his followers. I remember one time I, ta I, I talked about a pattern and somebody retorted and he said, there you go, pattern theology. And I think at that point, I, I turned to these particular verses and let him see that's God's design. Philippians 3 and verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. If you were going to go buy a new suit of clothes, whether it would be a new dress for ladies or a pantsuit, or maybe it would be you know, a new pair of pants and a shirt for a fella, you'd wanna make sure that whoever designed those clothes followed a pattern because you want them to fit you properly you don't want them to be way too big or way too small. You want them to be comfortable and you want them to look right, to look good. Now, how do they do that? They have a pattern to follow. You go into this building or maybe your own home and you walk in and you see a pattern that had been laid out before the builders ever picked up the first hammer and nail, before the first implement that would go into the building of that structure had ever arrived on the scene, there was a pattern for the, for the building contractor to follow. An architect or, or somebody who is, involved, who, who is responsible for <coughs> designing that structure, they had laid out the pattern well ahead of time. And the workers on the scene, they followed that pattern. <coughs> and they built that structure and they built it correctly so that it would be what we would want to be able to live in or maybe outright purchase. A pattern, God has given us a pattern in his word to follow, a guideline. The Bible is in, in a very real way, a guidebook for us. So Paul lays out that principle, God has given us a pattern to follow. 
in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter wrote, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God has given us again through that pattern, that design that he has laid out for us as to first how to come to him through our savior for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. He has also laid out for us in that pattern how to live that faithful life as a Christian before him for the rest of our physical lives. God has also chosen a method of communicating that pattern to us, and that is through teaching. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, and a lot of people, they say, yeah, the church, we don't need the church anymore. My follow-up response would be, then why did God send his son to establish the church upon this earth? Why did Jesus tell the apostles in Matthew 16 and verse 18, upon this rock, I will build my church and even the powers of death, knowing he'd go to the cross, not going to keep it from being established. And why did Acts 2 and verse 47 reveal to us that the Lord himself adds those who are coming to salvation as they're baptized into Christ to the church. He adds those who are being saved to his church. God, that's by his design. The church is central to our spiritual lives of faithfulness and dedication and service to God upon this earth. We need the church. But some people, they don't want to have to give up the time, make the time commitment. They don't want to have to, you know, be bothered with their conscience. Am I doing what I want to do? And you know what they teach over there? They teach the Bible and that tells me, you know, do's and don'ts and all of that. It tells you the love of God is what it tells you. Because again, there is no guidebook that has been devised by mankind that begins to compare by, with the worth and the value and, and the ultimate result of what the Bible teaches us as to living the best life that a human being can live with the greatest hope, and that's a home in heaven for all of eternity. God's word provides us for that. So God, and, and here we're talking about the wisdom of the world in contrast to the wisdom of God. And so Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, the world through its own wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God that through the foolishness, and God's not saying here that preaching, teaching my word openly and publicly and consistently is foolishness, but for a whole lot of people they think it is. A whole lot of people who don't want to be bothered by preaching and teaching God's word, they think it's foolishness. No, that's foolishness from the perspective of some people. But it's the wisdom of God by his wisdom. Notice again, in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached or taught to save those who believe. But again, foolishly, you talk about foolishness, our only real hope in life, our main goal ought to always be heaven. And our only hope is God's word to guide us and get us there. And again, to give us the best life, the life of greatest peace, the life of greatest fulfillment, the life of greatest direction and hope. But a lot of people, they say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Well, the devil has really convinced them 
in a wrong direction. When Jesus was ready to ascend back to heaven after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then appearing, risen for a period of 40 days thereafter, as he was ready to ascend back to heaven, he told the apostles as recorded in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that is, make followers of me, of all the nations, of all the people everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As Mark recorded that great commission from our Lord, same setting, same instruction, he just gives us different, different uh, details. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. You see what the, the message that the Bible has for us, the basic message of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ is the message of the Bible. There is no message from mankind that gives us that direction unless they've copied it out of the Bible itself. The Bible is that book of guidance, that book of ultimate eternal life and success in life. In Romans 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to everybody. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13 the Apostle Paul wrote, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, because God from the beginning, from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that does not mean that God chose certain individuals to be saved and chose others to be lost. But he chose all of those who would come to him through the gospel of Christ to be saved, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to have eternal life. How do we come to that rebirth that Jesus told Nicodemus has to take place on a spiritual level? John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about, Nicodemus was confused. He, was, he thought, Jesus, are you talking about re-entering a mother's womb after you're alive? After you're grown up? How can that happen? And Jesus said, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit. And if you're not, then you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. How does that come about? How does that come about? Well, we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And that word begotten is a birthing kind or bringing to life. And here it's referring to that being born again spiritually through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1. God's word also guides us. It also guides us to, in, in the right way to be able to live a faithful life on a daily basis as a Christian, a faithful follower of God. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the gospel, that basic message of the Bible, 
the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are also saved. Saved by the gospel or through that gospel message as we understand it and believe it and, 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 and obey it. If you hold fast, if you hold fast, that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So it's not a one and done kind of thing and we say, okay, I got that out of my, out of my way and now I can go back to my worldly lifestyle. No, no. He says you've got to hold fast to that gospel message. You've got to put it into practice in your life on a regular basis. Well, how do I do that? No wonder we're also instructed to study God's word regularly, to pay attention to teaching and teaching and teaching. First, Corinthians, First Timothy 4 and verse 13, Paul said to Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine or to teaching. First, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, he wrote, be diligent, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or understanding it and handling it and applying it correctly according to how God has laid it out for us. And also notice this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things that, I, that you have heard from me, Paul writes to Timothy, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we are to teach others, to teach others, to teach others, to teach others. And you see, there's no new message from God. God's message is written down for us. It has been completed almost 2,000 years ago as the New Testament was completed. It's the same message for us today as it has been for almost 2,000 years. And we need to teach that message. It's consistent. Again, it makes sense. It's logical. It's the saving message that God has communicated to us, guided the writers to write it down as his word, as scripture, as the Bible. And our obedience to God's teaching is key. It's not enough to just read the Bible and say, that's a pretty good book there. Yep, I believe what it says. If we don't put our faith into action through obedience, then it's not going to be effective for us. It's meant to guide us to change our lives in an active, obedient way. Obedience is the key. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Peter wrote this, and how, how much clearer could it be put? Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit, through sincere, uh, through sincere or insincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure part. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, in other words, not in a physical rebirth, but having been born again in an incorruptible way through the word of God. So it's not physical rebirth, it is spiritual rebirth. And that's what Peter was, uh, what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus when he said, except a man is be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Be born of the, the water and the blood. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a spiritual rebirth. We are washed clean by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. As we are baptized into him, immersed in the waters, buried with him as he was buried in that tomb. And just as he came up, risen, alive physically, we come up 
reborn and made alive spiritually. That's the rebirth. That's the rebirth. God's word guides us. James chapter 1 and verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. And that phrase, brought us forth, again, is a birthing kind of of statement. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15 again, as we read a few moments ago, Paul reminds Timothy that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The guidebook again, the Bible, God's very word guiding us to the greatest ultimate future that we could ever hope for. No more pain, no more sickness, no more dying. None of those rigors that we would look at and say, those, those are difficult situations we have to deal with in our physical life on a daily basis and all through our physical lives. The revelation in Revelation 7 tells us those are done away with in heaven. None of that anymore. No tears, no crying, no dying, no pain, no sickness, no suffering. That's our ultimate goal, or at least it should be. Why would we want to hang on to life in this world when we can have life in heaven for eternity without all of those negatives, all of those those sufferings that we experience naturally in this world? God has it all waiting for us. God's word builds us up and leads us to eternal life. As the Apostle Paul was talking to and instructing the elders in the church at Ephesus, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, he said, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's word can do all that for us. How many infomercials do we get tuned into? How many self-help manuals that supposedly tell us if you make these applications, if you take these vitamins, if you continue to take these minerals on an ongoing basis, it's going to help you be stronger, going to clean out your, you know, your gut. It's going to, it's going to make you more, it's going to give you more energy and more strength and all of that. And we do all of that to extend our lives by what? 10 more years, 20 more years. I just read about a lady who said she was 121 years old. You know, she's still going to die physically. Probably not that many more years down the road because it is appointed unto men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter, chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. We're all going to die physically. But what God has given us in this book is the self-help manual if we will understand it, believe it, and obey it consistently, apply those teachings to our lives accurately, consistently, he says, that'll get you eternal life. And you don't have to worry about growing old. You don't have to worry about being infirm. You don't have to worry about getting sick. You don't have to worry about COVID, that's for sure, because none of that is going to be in heaven. 
We are made clean through the word. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken. Clean from what? Not talking about washing off physical dirt off our hands or our body. He's talking about being made clean spiritually. And then notice John chapter 8 beginning with verse 31. He said, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, that is live in, live by my word, you are my disciples, my followers indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And there is no question but that truth is God's word. On the night of the betrayal, he prayed to the father. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That, that word, that truth that Peter said, you have, you have cleansed your heart, you have cleansed your lives, you have become forgiven, you have been purified by obeying the truth. That's the truth of God's word that he was talking about. And to not obey the word of God, the will of God communicated through his word, that ultimate end is too terrible to contemplate because it's eternal condemnation in hell. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that ought to open our eyes. That ought to wake people up. What? I believe in Jesus. He says, not everybody who believes in me, who calls me Lord, Lord, is going to be in heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. God's will communicated to us through his word. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will say to them, I will declare to them, I will announce to them, I never knew you. You were never with me. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How could he say that to them? They call him Lord. They say they've done a whole lot of good works in his name. But you go back to that first verse, verse 21. They have not been following him according to the will of the Father. They have not been following him God's way. We've not, we cannot just follow God some way or our way. We've got to follow God God's way. When we read God's word and we reject what it says... That's condemnation for us. John 12 and verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word, the word that I have spoken shall judge him in the last day. That's God's guidebook for us, and he will hold us accountable as to how we live by those teachings. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 9, Again, straightforward, clear-cut, easy to understand. <clears throat> John wrote, guided by God, to write this. So it's God's very word. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of Christ, does not have God. What does that word abide mean? Live in, live by. The teachings of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ lives by those teachings faithfully, consistently, has both the Father and the Son. Both God and Christ will be with that, that individual. Well, the Bible boldly, 
plainly, unequivocally, and continuously declares itself to be the very word of God. You can open up the Bible. You can just look at random. Go through the book of Psalms. See how many times you find statements beginning a particular instruction or, or statement itself from the fuller level that says, begins with, the word of God is, or thus says the Lord, over and over and over again. We see those kinds of statements. The Bible is not haphazard about declaring itself to be the very word of God. It boldly and consistently, continuously declares itself to be so. And it warns the reader to not tamper with those teachings. Now look at this, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. <clears throat> you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Proverbs 30 and verse 6, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. Isn't it interesting that basically in the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy, in the middle of the Bible, Proverbs, and at the very end, almost the very last verses in the Bible, Revelation 22, we find the same warning. Now those are not the only places that we find such, but isn't it interesting? The beginning, the middle, the end, same warning. Don't tamper with God's word. Don't tamper with it. Jude wrote in Jude, only one chapter in that short letter, verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. The faith is God's word. As we understand it and believe it and apply it properly to our lives, then that becomes our faith exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The Bible is God's full word to us. Full word to us. Complete word to us. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, we need to ask ourselves, does the way that you're living your life have the authority of God behind the way you're living your life. Peter wrote, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. As the oracles of God. Jesus put it this way, <clears throat> very succinctly again. John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you say you love God. You say you love Jesus. What did some of those back in chapter 7, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 say? We call you Lord. We supposedly do all these great things in your name. He says, you've got to obey the will of my Father. You don't follow me some way, you follow me his way. And if you're not following me his way, you're not following me the right way. Jesus said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. John 14 and verse 15. The Hebrews writer put it this way, speaking of Jesus. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the source or author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. A lot of people want Jesus without the obedience. They want salvation. They want eternal life without commitment in their lives. It doesn't work that way. God's word is repetitive. It's clear. It's detailed. It's easy to understand. And again, it's not confusing. God has given us the way to be with him and his son and the Holy Spirit forever and separated from all of the anxieties and the sufferings and the negativities of this physical life in this world if we'll just come to him his way. And the Bible guides us in that way. If you need to study about it some more, we'd love to help you. All you have to do is ask us. If you are ready to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. We're ready to help you with that this very morning. If you need the prayers of the church, just let us know so we can pray with you and for you. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.